And we are we are live. We are live. Good yeah, there's, morning. There's actually no ramp up anymore like there was before where we just stand here and look foolish for a little bit. Yeah. Now we can just look foolish. On the, the moment. On the moment. Yes. 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 Good morning. Ha he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hey, man, what a great day to be at church. What a great day in Oregon. I love spring. Okay, so I just want to acknowledge we've got spring colors. Yeah. Green, blue. Yeah. Is blue a spring color? It's not okay. Um, well, what? Uh, well, it could be winter, I suppose, but we don't talk about winter here. Nope. No. I feel like there's a bit of a stand-up routine happening here that may be throwing new people off. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's real. I'm really <laughs> sorry. This is like the way we actually engage with each yeah, other. Yeah, <laughs> we just kind of warm up and say good morning. Um, I don't know if we have any announcements, do we? Not that I'm aware of. I just I, there's one thing I want to acknowledge, and I was it's. When Dale, when you walked up, you, when you left, I started to cry because I was so filled with joy to see your face. Um, I'm just so, you know, there's something about a return to normal that we're getting closer when we start to see these familiar faces. And yeah. so I just want to let you all know I appreciate you and I, and I have missed you greatly, my friend. Yeah. It is good to be here. And I'm glad to see all you folks here today. So I, I don't. I'm, I'm looking for Jesse to see if there's any, is there any announcements? There's no announcements. Weird. Okay, that's kind of strange. I don't know what to say about that. There's our podcast. We can talk about our podcast. Sure. Yeah. Will you grill me about the sermon? I grill, grill is such a strong word unless we're talking about, like, steak. Yeah. But. Um, I don't know. So, Jan, is there anything you think we should share about the podcast in particular? Because you were a loyal, loyal listener. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Wednesdays at 7 o'clock, we do a podcast called After Service, and we just, uh, we just revisit the, the sermon. Um, we have live engagement with people mm -hmm. who are listening. So, if you have questions, we want to hear your thoughts on the sermon. If you have yeah. questions after the fact, it just gives us an opportunity to discuss some things in greater detail um, and some, you know, social events and stuff come in there yeah. as well. A lot of times people would like, you know, the sermon to be a little bit more, you know, question and answer and have more of a dialogue. Well, that's the point of it is we have a dialogue and, and we've had many people say that you ask the questions that they are thinking of. And so that's, oh, which is why we do that. Yeah. Um, but I suppose we should talk about it is Easter. We are going to be talking about the resurrection, of course, um, and mm, we're going to be talking about the resurrection of a little girl today, not Jesus directly, because it's a foreshadowing of our resurrection, which is what the point of Easter is. It's not just that Jesus rose, but that we get to rise with him one day, okay? And we're looking at Mark 5. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for the, for the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you that you have risen, that you are alive, that there is hope. Thank you that, that the world is not meaningless. That with all the craziness that's happening in our world today, there is a possibility of it all being resolved one day. Thank you for, the, for, for the, the reality, the shared life experience that we all share, that we live in a world where death has been defeated. Amen. And Father, so we ask 
that as we worship you this morning, that you would open our hearts to hear that voice, to, to, to worship you and praise you as you deserve with all of our minds, with all of our hearts, with all of our body, with all, all the, the energy that's within us to give you the praise and worship and, and praise you deserve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand for this song. Amen. Let's go ahead and take a seat and we'll pray together as uh, Pastor Brian comes up. Father, thank you for making the concept, uh, uh, the joy of your resurrection be um, so so tangible this morning as as we experience the joy of seeing our friends, as we, um, as, as, as we're allowed to, to be gathered together uh, online, in person, that to see faces, to hear voices, Lord, I'm, I'm so grateful. Lord, I want us to hear you this morning to recognize what a, a unique opportunity we have to hear from you, to connect with you, to be changed by you and through your people. Throw away everything that you don't need this morning, Lord, that we don't need so that we can just be wholly yours to hear you, to know who you are. And we love you. Amen. So we're in Mark chapter 5. Um, I do have a couple of things to say before we get into the message. One is um, starting next week, we're going to do a very brief um, series on who are we in Christ. And then I'll get back to Mark. Yes, Kathy, I will. <laughs> I love, I'm loving Mark, but I really want to talk briefly for probably, I don't know how long it'll be. It'll be less than a month probably of who are we? Uh, how many here have heard the phrase identity politics? Okay, just about most people, right? Um, it's, it, who we are is, is, is huge in our culture right now, and I wanted to speak to what is it that the Bible says, who does God say you are in Jesus? Because who you are it makes a huge difference in terms of how you see yourself, how you interact in the world, and there's a clear biblical answer. When we, you know, if the world wants to talk about identity, man, that's right in the ballpark of the Bible and of, of, of Christianity. So let's talk about identity. Who are you in Christ? So we're going to be starting that next week. That's, that's the first thing I wanted to say. The other one is, I really want to pray for you, and you, those of you who are online, and, but I can't do that without you telling me. So there's, there's an anonymous way you can do that. There's, you could send us a private message on, on Facebook. You can text me. There's all these different ways. But I would like to know what I can pray for you. Even if it's not, you don't have a crazy thing happening in your life right now. You just like, you know, I, have the, I, I, I just could use a little bit more patience in my life. It could be something simple as that. Just let me know what I can pray for you so I can pray specifically for what you want me to pray. All right? So those two things. All right, so let's get into the, into the text. Let me, I, I'm going to take a moment and pray for, us, for me as well. Um, all the scripture is going to be on, on, on the screen, but um, you can turn to it in your Bible as well. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for uh, for this text today. Thank you for your for the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have in it. Uh, help me to talk your talk to them, Lord. I don't I don't want to say things that are not from you. I want I want them to hear your voice and not mine. And so I ask that you would use me for that. to do something that's impossible for humans to do, and that's to change lives. And But you do, the, you do the impossible all the time. So speak, speak, speak to our hearts, mine included, and everyone here in, in this room and everyone who hears this, this message online, that they would uh, they'd be changed because they've encountered you. Pray this in your name. Significance. Hope. Fear and despair. Is there more to this than, than what we have? And I, and I mean in terms of life after. Is there more th- to, to, to what we're doing than just this treadmill we seem to be on? Go to work every day, we come home, we raise our kids, we, you know, it's just a collection, it's just working on collecting things and experiences, and then you're done. Is there more to this than just this? Is there more? Or is it just a big treadmill with no real meaning to anything? Easter suggests there is more. That, there's a, that there actually is a, 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 a story, that we live in a, a world that has a plot, that has a, a, a direction it's going, that there is more to everyday life, that there's more to life after we die, that nothing, that thing is, things isn't meaningless as we fear. And sometimes I think we don't ask the question, what's, what's the point of all this? Because how many people over here really honestly have asked that question very often? Sometimes I think we don't ask that question of ourselves because we're afraid that maybe there isn't anything. Or, I don't like the answer. But there is there's hope. Easter suggests that there's a universal experience that's coming. A universal experience where, where every single person will be raised from the dead one day, just as Jesus was raised from the dead. That Easter will be experienced by all people, and some to, 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 to the good place and some to the bad place. But either way, th- there will be a moment, a shared universal experience by all human beings, that that day is coming. And so there is a weightiness to even the most mundane thing we do. It can be scary. And it's grounded in this objective reality that what we're celebrating today actually occurred. It's not just a myth, but there's a a historicity to it. It's not like some of the other 
stories that human beings have told of people rising from the dead. But this one, strangely, is connected to a real time and place. That is, as Paul puts in 1 Corinthians 13, that what we proclaim to you is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was dead, that he was buried, but on the third day he rose again and has been seen by up to over 500 people, and this is what we proclaim, that there is a history to it. We're grounded in that. In our text today, Mark 5, we see a foreshadowing of this moment. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to tell you a story. Just a good, fun story. It's an exciting story. And it begins in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. So Jesus went with him. Ah, that's not right. Oh, dear. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> hey, the rest of them are right. I'm just missing a single slide. Yay! That's okay. I can work with this. Let's go back to that. Yeah, let's go back to this. Yeah, no, let's go right back to there. Okay. All right, go back to the previous slide. Okay. Here's the story. Jesus has just crossed the ocean. If we look at this whole chapter, Jesus has been quite busy. At the beginning of the chapter, he, he gets, he's in a big crowd. He gets, a, gets in the boat. He goes across the ocean. There's this big storm where the, where the disciples think they're going to die, and then um, he calms it. They get to the other side. They meet this crazy guy who, who is possessed by a legion. Jesus deals with that issue. But they kick him out. They say, you got to go. So he roll, goes right back. So in the last 24 hours, he has crossed an ocean twice and been kicked out of a country. Wow. He's exhausted. And he gets out of the boat. And just as he's getting out of the boat, again, a massive crowd is there. And a man named Jarius, a synagogue ruler, comes. Now, comes and meets Jesus at the shore and falls at his feet in his just pleading with him. Now, you need to know what a synagogue ruler is. Synagogue ruler <clears throat> is not a professional person. He is kind of like, kind of like the like like a deacon in a church. He's the guy that's in charge of the security, making sure the building is maintained. He's the guy that will make sure uh, can line up the speakers, line up the, you know the, the the reading of the scrolls and the and the text. He doesn't actually preach but he kind of is in charge of the whole thing but he does mean he's a very respected person very important person in the community everybody knows this guy because there's not like there's a synagogue on every corner there's like one in a town so this entire area knows Jarius very significant and what he does is he comes and he throws himself at Jesus's feet why because as he says my little girl's dying. My baby girl is dying. On death's door, some translations put it. Now, he didn't come very far. The area is not that big, right? So in the middle of this whole crowd, 
there's this man who throws himself at Jesus' feet. It's, it's desperate. You need to hear desperation in this moment. And there's a little bit of a social ramification here because not everybody likes Jesus. In fact, the people he runs with, the scribes, the Pharisees, the kind of the temple people, they are the ones who earlier in the, in the, in the gospel have said they're ready to kill Jesus. So they do not like him, and yet this, is, this man is in such a circumstance that he doesn't care what the repercussions of him going to Jesus is. i got to say my little girl. And every parent understands that. There comes a point where it doesn't matter what the cost is. I will do what i got to do to save my, my child, right? Even if the world hates me for it, that's my daughter. So he pleads with Jesus, save her. All you need to do is come and touch her. And there's a little bit of faith here. I mean, he's going to Jesus. He's heard about all the stuff. But, he's not, it's not, it's, but Jesus is not his first option. In less than 24 hours ago, Jesus was here, but he didn't come see Jesus then. But now, she's at death's door less than 24 hours later. So she's been sick for a while because it's with a fever. So, he tried all the other stuff. All the, all the physicians, everything. Prayer, you name it. Nothing would help. help. Maybe, maybe his wife said, honey, I know what it's going to cost you to go see Jesus, but he's healed so many other people, you got to try. Or maybe it was the other way around and said, honey, I know it's going to cost us, but i got to try. So we go see Jesus. And Jesus' response is, I'll go. I'll go. In spite of the fact that he's exhausted, in spite of the, the fact that he's going, all this is happening, he goes, I'll go. And so he starts on the way. And he's interrupted. He's interrupted. Now let's see. If I have those texts, I think I do. I think I do. Yes. So Jesus went with him. And all this crowd's following him, but he gets interrupted by a woman. Now, last week I told you that story. You can go check it out online, but let me give you the simple, simple answer. The simple thing is, he goes, and he's interrupted by this woman who just needs to steal some kind of healing. And can you imagine Jarius for a moment? Be, be in his shoes for a second. He, he's got to be anxious, doesn't he? He's got to be going, oh my. Hurry up, Jesus. Come on. Time's ticking. I know I would be. My daughter is on death's door, Jesus. Did you not hear me? And yet, he stops. He's, he's, like, he's just like, come on. Come on, got to go. But Jesus takes the time for this woman, raises her up out of her shame, out of her misery. He elevates her. This woman who had imperfect faith. She did not do everything right. She had just kind of this kind of a simplistic, she, she thought Jesus could fix it, and that was about it. And so she touches Jesus, just the hem of his cloak, and says, I'm going to be healed. 
And she is. And Jesus stops and says, daughter, your, ch- your, your, he- your faith has healed you. And that's what, he hap- that's what happens. Oh, I got a f- horrible feeling that this is last week. No, it's not. Ha! Yes! Slide air. Yeah. So, right there. Boom. While he was still speaking to this woman, messengers came to Jer- came and arrived at, from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and told him, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher? She was already gone when she talked to Jesus. No, no. Stay there. Yeah, stay where we were. She was already gone when she talked to Jesus, when he talked to Jesus, because the distances aren't far. They're close. And so, let's pause here for a moment. Think about those of you who are parents, who are parents. What would that moment be like? That moment when you were told your child that you've already been worried about is gone. Now, in the last couple of years, I've lost both my parents. And as I look out the crowd, I know some of you have lost loved ones not too far in the, you know, in the past. And, and, and my family knows people who've lost in the last couple of years, children. The world stopped. It just stopped. And you wonder why everybody else hasn't stopped. It's like crushing. Losing a grandparent is very hard. Losing a parent is significantly harder. But I can't imagine losing your child. And that's where Jarius is. In giving his earlier state of anxiety and stress and fear, because enough to make him try and go see Jesus, can you imagine where he's at in this moment? Can you possibly grasp the, 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 the grief that he's feeling? with that cold realism as we can see uh, from the messenger. Why bother him? There's no hope. It's done. Maybe if he had gotten there, maybe he could have done something. But it's over. We need to take a moment and pause in the story and think about death on this day, right? What death means. Not what it is. We know what it is. When a body stops working. But what does it mean? What's the experience of death mean? It means separation, doesn't it? That all you have is memories left. You can't touch them, you can't hug them, you can't call them up on the phone. Only memories. 
it, it, and it's something we can't fix. Death means the complete end of human possibility. This is what he's feeling. It's the breaking. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's repugnant. It's the final, as one author put it, it's the final fall into humanity. Because at that moment, all human possibility is ended. And this is a theme in this entire chapter. Going back to the storm where you have these professional men who are really good fishermen and they say, we're going to die. Uh, we can't fix this storm, Jesus. And what do they do? They run to Jesus and say, help. And he fixes it. They go through the man in the tombs and no one can control him. The man can't out help himself. There's no human help left. And Jesus solves it. This woman that he just fixed with the, with, with the bleeding, 12 years. Can you imagine 12 years bleeding? The pain. We have a friend who's had a migraine for at least 12 years. Can you imagine? And all that work. There's nothing humanly possible to fix this woman. And now we have the, the little girl. It's not possible. Every one of these, Jesus is dealing with something that humanly not possible. And of course, for us, we know death is the ultimate impossibility. It's the final. The final separation. So this is what the Bible means when it's talking about death. Whenever it comes up, these are the issues. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the breaking of the human. It's the, it's the separation. It's all that goes with it, the grief and the pain and the anguish and all the misery and all of this. It is a symbol of what humanity has experienced in Genesis 3, the, what we call the fall. That we have died to God. We are broken. Our relationship is broken. And this is what Jesus is dealing with. This is the point of all of Jesus' miracles. It's either to communicate something about himself or to say something about what he's doing. The point of the gospel. What is he trying to do? He's trying to restore people from oppressive evil powers, the legion. He's trying to restore people from the effects of the fall and all of that with the bleeding woman. And ultimately, death itself, he's conquering. That's what Jesus is saying. That where all human possibility has stepped in, God makes possible. Our, our death is our end of our possibility, but not with God. Which is why the man says, why bother the teacher? It's over. And that's, by the way, that's the whole point of Easter. There is a resurrection. There's a hope. There's a possibility here. There's a possibility I get to see my mom again, my dad again, my grandma again. That this isn't the end of our story. There's a future. By faith. Because look at what Jesus says in this next Jesus overheard them and he said, Jarius, don't be afraid. Have faith. In fact, other versions, I think correctly, rightly, puts the emphasis on it. It's not just that he heard it. 
he's ignoring what the messenger said. He overheard it, and instead of addressing that, he says, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not going to go there. I'm ignoring it. It's not that I don't acknowledge that it's said. What I'm saying is I'm contradicting it. Don't have fear. Have faith. He's calling him to faith. Which, as a side note, fear is always the antidote to fear. And there is nothing in life to be afraid of. Nothing. There's things to be concerned about. If I'm walking in the woods and I see a bear, that's to be concerned about. Right? But the only thing to be afraid of is, as Jesus put it, the one who can put you in the bad place. And he's the one who has loved you on the cross. Nothing else to fear. Lots of things to be concerned about, but nothing to be afraid. Trust him. And so he tells him, ignore, the, your, don't look at your circumstance, have faith. But it's, it, but it's, not, mm, it's not blind faith. Sometimes we think faith is, 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 is blind. I just have to believe. No, think about the context. He's not asking him to believe in nothing. He's asking to believe based on what he has literally just seen. He just saw a woman that he knows. If anybody in this crowd knows this woman, it's Jairus, because she can't go to the temple. So if she tried, he, he's gotta go, she's got to go through him. Of course she, he knows her. And it's not that big of a community, let's be honest. He knows her. He knows her story. He knows what has happened is the impossible. And so he is, Jesus is asking, just as she had faith, and look what I did. I didn't even have to say anything to her. Just She just literally touched my robe, and she's healed. Have faith. I do the impossible. Have faith, Jarius. Trust me. It's not based on nothing. But he is asking him to, to make the logical conclusion based on what you do know. You'll never get all your questions answered for, for Christianity. You'll never be, have all the dots connected all the way to the end, so there's no error, no possibility you could be possibly wrong. You have to see where the direction of the evidence goes and then make that last step. That's what faith is. It's not based on nothing. It's making the logical, reasonable conclusion based on what you do know. And that's what Jesus is asking him. What do you know, Jarius? You've seen all the healings I've done. You've seen me do something that you know it is impossible to do. Now trust me. Trust me. And so he does. He starts off again. He goes to the next. So Jesus stops the crowd from following. He stops the crowd and he says, nope, you're not coming. In fact, all of his disciples, you're not coming. It's just the five of them. Peter, James, John, Jairus, and Tim. This is not a moment for spectators. 
And I, 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 think, I think this is a tender moment. Jesus doesn't want a show because I don't think Jairus would want a show. I mean, remember that moment when the world stops when a loved one dies? I mean, it just stops, right? And, and, and the fact all the noise is really, it's like nails on a chalkboard in that moment. I, can, I, I think Jairus would have appreciated it's just, just us. And I can, I can just see Jesus walking with Jairus, talking with him as he's walking with him. And his disciples are like, okay, what's going on here? And they go. They go back. So when they came to the home, they hear this weeping. They hear the wailing. And it's this professional group of people. Professional group. See, back then, mourning was a profession, as weird as that might seem, that they would... You would actually hire people. In fact, the, the, the statute was the, the poorest person possible should have at least two whalers and a flutist. There's be these professional musicians and women who would literally, when someone dies, they're like, I'll come and do it. And they would go there and they would wail and cry out on their behalf. But Jarius is, he's not poor. And he's very significant privileged very privileged so this is not a small group and they are they're making music and they're wailing and there's all this loud commotion and and this is what jarius is greeted with this is what jesus is greeted with and what does he say get out actually he starts with by saying he starts by saying Why all this commotion? Why are you guys doing this? The child isn't dead. Now, he knows she's dead. What he's doing is he's reframing. He's reframing this whole thing. Yes, he knows she's dead. Everybody knows she's dead. Jesus isn't stupid. He's reframing the fact that Death is not the end. That it's more like sleep. That there's going to be a final resurrection. He knows that he intends to heal her, to raise her up. That, 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 that death is more like sleeping. In fact, that's the language that's used later on by Paul. That death is asleep. All those who have fallen asleep. It's a euphemism. So he commands them to get out. So the next verse is, he, he, he tells all of them to get out, but the, in spite of the fact that the crowd's laughing at him, the crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took his, and, and, and then wa wa watch how it just gets really, really slow. It's like the moment, I, I, again, I can imagine Jarius being in that moment, and, his mo and, and the mother, it's like, Life just really slows down. And it's like every single step is exaggerated. And you can see that how it's 
Palestinians. He made them leave, and then he took the girl's father and the mother and the three disciples. You see how that's so deliberate? He didn't just say, he took the, two, he took the mother and the father and the disciples. No, no, it's just like he took the father, and he took the mother, and he took the disciples into the room. What room? The room where the girl was lying. And he was just like, slow. It's this moment. And they're all going, okay, what's he going to do? And he goes into the room. And he takes hold of the girl's hand. And he says, Talithia kum, which means little girl. Talithia's little girl. Get up. No fanfare. Just get up. And she does. She gets up. The little girl, 12 years old, immediately stood up, walked around. And it's amazing. Just like that. It's a foreshadowing that Jesus has power over everything. He commands her rising. Just like he's going to command your rising, your rising, and my rising. He'll command all people to rise. There's coming a day where there will be an Easter for all human beings. John chapter 5 talks about this. Jesus said, I assure you, everyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and has not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. I assure you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, that's a name for himself, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, he is also has gathered, granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this because the time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. To those who have done good things, to the resurrection of life. To those who have done wicked things, to the resurrection of judgment. And what is the good thing? It's to believe. Go back to the very first verse, what is it, 24? I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him has eternal life. That's the good. And everything else flows from that. It's the same message as with Jairus. Don't be afraid. Believe. Believe that God can do the impossible. God, believe that God can do the impossible. Raise you up. That's, East, that's the message of Easter. That Jesus has risen, and because of that, life is not meaningless. Life is not insignificant. There is a plot to the world. There is a plot to your life, and it's not a treadmill. Oh, you could act like it's on a treadmill, but it ain't. It ain't. 
might look like a treadmill, treadmill like you're walking in just in circles, like a, like a hamster wheel. But you're not. You're going somewhere. You're going to the shared, universal experience of the resurrection of all people. That day is coming because it's grounded in this objective, universal experience, this world we live in, that Easter actually occurred. That's the significance of Easter, foreshadowed in the raising of Jairus' daughter. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story. But most importantly, I want to th- I thank you for the reality that it points us to. The hope of seeing our loved ones again. That you have conquered death. You've conquered all of the things that are impossible for us as human beings. To restore us to you, Heavenly Father just as you restored Jairus' daughter to him. We give you praise. Amen. Well, any comments? Yeah, there were a few things that popped in my head, but I don't want to take too much time. So um, I know, it was probably really long, wasn't it? No, that's not bad. what I was saying. I mean, if you felt that, it's probably true. But um, <laughs> the... Um, when I when I think about Jesus in last week, the story of you know where he recognized the woman, touched his robe, and power left him, and then that somehow the Jairus felt like even though he the, the miracle occurred here, that somehow that wouldn't be something he could do later. Yeah. That um, there's a f- it's our human experience suggests you know as we project our human experience on what Jesus can do is like, oh, well, you don't have enough power for that. Right. And our faith, you know, our human experience gets in the way of faith so much. And I completely understand and relate to that. And and then the the whole idea of professional mourners. When you've lost somebody and you talk about wanting the world to stop, you also want the world to mourn with you, you know, to somehow acknowledge the loss that you are feeling and that they should feel it as significantly as you do. And as comical as that sounds, I think there are people who, who, uh, who die without anybody to mourn for them. And that there's yeah. something almost beautiful about That's that. True. That is true. Even as long if as it's, it's m- not fake. Right. The, the, the mercenary aspect of it makes me feel a little yuck. But, but the idea, you know. That the community, even people you don't know, acknowledge the moment. Right. That is a beautiful thing. We got more to talk about on Wednesday. Yes, we do. So we're going to take a moment and just kind of prepare for communion. Um, This is a good day for communion. It's a day to remember that we are united with Christ through our faith, which is why that we use the word commune, connecting, yun. It's two becoming one, union. Um, And this is this is where we remember that at the the Lord's Supper. And so take a moment. And think about the things that you want Jesus to overcome and the hope that he gives you because you are united with him. While Joe plays just a little bit of music for us.
point Paul, uh, of today is that if Jesus is risen, so are we. And Paul says something very similar to this, but basically the same idea of that is in Romans 6. That since we have been united with him in his death, we'll be raised to life as he was. And we're united through our faith in Jesus. That we, we connect. And so when we take communion, we're saying, I believe in you, Jesus. I want your resurrection to be mine. I want your death to cover my sins. Your death is for me, and your resurrection is my hope. That's what we're saying when we take communion. And we're affirming that again and again and again every time we take communion. So, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He said, this is my body, my life given for you. Take and eat. In the same way after supper, he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. Poured out for the forgiveness of sins. All sin needs forgiveness. All forgiveness comes through the shedding of blood. When we eat and drink these things, we proclaim our faith in Jesus and that our that we believe that his death was for us. That he was crushed for our iniquities, bruised for our transgressions, that the punishment that brings us peace was on him. Take and eat. I want to pray for, for us, for me and everyone here and everyone who hears this, that we would have hope. That we would have hope, Jesus. Hope of seeing loved ones again. Hope that the world will get fixed. That, that all of the mess and all of the, the, the disease and all of the, the grief and the pain and all of that will be overcome by you. We long for the day for you to come. Jesus, come back soon. We need you. Lord, I pray that we would all say that. Thank you that you come to our rescue. That you took on our lives. That we might come back into a relationship with you. Eternally. In Jesus' name. have one last song as we get ready to go. It's an invitation. It tells us about who it's not very easterly but it kind of is because it's about how God runs to us no matter what the cost to save us and me. He's risen, He's risen indeed. indeed. Go in that joy and that hope. Thanks for coming.